Welcome to the Deb and Kev podcast. One is a Harvard Business School alum. The other is her son, discussing business, pop culture, family, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Deb and Kev. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Devin Kev podcast. Sitting right there, she's the king of cool, the Dean Martin of this podcast. It's my mom, Deb. I like being Dean Martin. Thank you. I'm Deb. And that makes me the like lovable loser, slapstick comedian, sidekick, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I'm her son, Kev. And this is our podcast. Uh, when Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were a thing, I mean, yeah. was it like cool to like Jerry Lewis because he was associated with Dean Martin? Or was it always like you just tolerated the guy who turned out to be a terrible, a terrible homophobic racist later on in life? Well, let's not forget that Dean Martin was a pretty serious drunk. Yeah, okay. but like a cool drunk. A cool, certainly a cool drunk. And probably like, I mean, we call him a ladies man, but what would we call him today? Right. Baby, it's cold outside. Suave. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, suave. So, uh, I was never a Jerry Lewis fan. I mean, who was a Jerry Lewis fan? I don't think Jerry <laughs> Lewis liked being Jerry Lewis in that dynamic. It was th- that kind of slapstick, goofy crap is too much for me. I mean, I, I don't like it. I like, like, I thought Dean Martin was funny. I mean, that was the kind of humor, like the, with the way he played off Jerry Lewis. I loved that. But Jerry Lewis wasn't my deal. I didn't watch, remember he had all the, what were they called? God, I'm using, losing the word right now. Uh, Props. The, no, the fundraisers for oh Jerry's kids, Jerry's kids, and yeah. all that. They'd be the on. telethons. The telethons. Thank you. I couldn't get to there. The telethon. Those. That was the first telethon I ever saw in my life. And and even, they were like twenty four hours or oh something like gosh, that. Oh my gosh! Even then, I didn't like him. He was doing a perfectly good thing for mankind, and I didn't like him. You know. Uh, if anybody is curious about who we're talking about, uh, go Google Jerry Lewis telethons racist rants. It's <laughs> unbelievable that this guy said what he said on camera, even if the times were different. And that's going to kind of launch us into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Dave Chappelle. We're going to talk about the backlash of his special that you and I watched prior to any of this yeah. um, going live. And then we're just going to kind of not offer our opinions, but maybe ask some questions, speak from our experience or lack of experience, and do our best to do what Deb and I do, which is just add our little spin to it. Um, But before that, before we get to a hot button topic that two white people probably shouldn't be talking about, fall is awesome. Oh, it's been spectacular here. Fall is is now my favorite season. And especially with the fall that we're having, anybody who would show up here would understand why it's our favorite season and it would quickly become their favorite season. As it relates to only our house, specifically (laughs) our house and our house alone. It could relate to the houses on either side of us. But I don't go over there. Yeah, that's true. It's just where we live. Yeah. We've talked about bugs on this podcast before And let me use a quote from the 1997 movie Starship Troopers featuring Denise Richards. The only good bug is a dead bug. Oh, for sure. Our house is littered with box elder beetles to the likes of which it's an invasion. It's a home invasion. (laughs) So box elder beetles, we are being attacked because we have two neighbors that don't really take care of their property the way they should. Yep. 
And I mean, just meaning like really rake up all the debris. They don't every clean year. the gutters. They don't clean up their leaves. They, they have a lot of mulch. It's stuff that bugs thrive in. So right. regardless of us doing it ourselves, we are sandwiched by two people who aren't dirty, but who certainly aren't fastidious enough to not warrant having swarms of bugs everywhere. And they both have trees, giant trees. We have, do we only have two trees in our backyard? We do. One is an apple tree and one is a pear tree. And it's the smallest, how it's not dead pear tree that exists in the world. But it gives us fruit every year so we won't cut it down. It's true. So they have trees that box elder beetles love. And they also won't spray. They won't do anything. So the box elder beetles came probably about 15 years ago. And I mean, this is the happiest place on the planet. We have cleaned, we have debris cleaned, we have re-cleaned, we have sprayed, we have done it all. People laugh at us because they say it lasts for about a minute and a half. But what happens is this time of year, the box elder beetles should be dying because the weather's getting colder. So our house faces south. And during the day, we're still getting like 70 degrees. It's really nice. So what do they want to do? I mean, this is like something straight out of Halloween. 10 million bugs, I'm not lying to you, on the front of our house. Yep. And our house is kind of a light, light, kind of grayish, beige-ish, grayish-ish. They show, it's not like they're hidden. Little black specks just scattered across. On all the windows. It's disgusting. Now, box elder beetles don't do anything. They don't bite. They don't. I mean, they don't eat anything they, they don't that you bite, care about. They don't swarm. No. They don't sting. They just exist, and they exist with known, no known enemy. Nothing comes and eats them. Nothing eats them. Everyone, once in a while, they look like they might eat each other. For but sure. Yeah. But I have gone out. This is no lie. And there's this thing you do with a box elder beetle. If you don't squish it till its guts come out, I mean, where you see its guts come out, that thing will survive. Oh, yeah. It will put itself back together like... It's some kind of robotic, weird thing. It's family adjacent to a cockroach in my mind. Like yes. it's a different color. It's a totally different, I guess, insect species. But if they were connected through like second cousins to cockroaches, yeah. I would believe that. Oh, I would believe that too. I mean, you have to squish them, squish them. They, you know, here's the deal. Like it is so bad right now. I mean, I've probably killing 15 in the house a day. I mean, you just see them, you kill them. They're super slow right now because it's the end of their yeah. season. But if we let the dogs out, they get one or two will get on the dogs and they'll come in. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Mm-hmm-hmm. The dogs are bringing bugs in. We are bringing bugs in. It is disgusting and horrible and they have to be killed. Now, I know that I have my way of killing them, which is just I do it by hand. I don't even care. Nothing bothers me. But after I've killed about 15 or 20 out there, I get hit with this like this little Tibetan monk rises up on my shoulder and he goes, oh, Deb, what are you doing? And then I feel bad and I stop and I go back in the house and I don't do it for a while until they reinfest and then I go out and I want to kill them all again. So does that Tibetan monk ever rise up in you, Kev? Uh, the Tibetan monk, as it relates to ants and spiders, big time. Because ants and spiders are just kind of exploring. Like the ant just went a little too far off the track, right? Mm-hmm. He made it, he, he got a little over his skis. He smelled something he shouldn't have smelled. And I'm going to usher him back outside. The spider I know doesn't care about me and it just wants to be somewhere quiet 
and dark where it can collect bugs and kill them and eat them. And we're happy that he does that. A thousand percent. Yeah. The box elder bug yeah. that lives for a year. Yeah. That's a soulless zombie as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and should be destroyed on every level possible. Here's how bad it is. Deb's right. By the time they get in the house, they're pretty slow. They're probably close to dying. And I think they're only sunning because they're they're really trying to get some energy back. It's, I think I believe at this point, the sun is what's keeping them alive. I'm praying for like 20 degrees below this winter to kill every box elder beetle potential on the planet. The other day, which will jump us off into this other topic I want to talk about, we were driving to a bunch of department stores looking for some wedding attire for, that we're going to. And there were a number of the bugs on the car. Not not a lot, but like three or four. Those suckers stayed on the hood for as long as humanly possible, only leaving at the point that I went 80 miles an hour on the freeway because I was actually just hoping to get rid of them. And then we we drove 20 minutes away from our house to the South Mall, went into the department store. I came back out and there was one walking across the dashboard. Is that crazy? It's banana land. Here, th- These are not, these are good sized bugs. And I mean, as far as bugs go, these are not like little natty things. These are bug bugs. And it is amazing to me, like on both of my bedroom windows, which are good windows, which are new windows, which are sealed well, every day, one found a way to oh, yeah. get in. For I don't have, sure. like how? They, I mean, it's the cool air of your room. It's the breeze. I don't know if bugs smell food, but they've chosen our house. Mm-hmm. They put us through the ringer every year. And because our fall has been so beautiful and the weather has been so pristine, they, like us, are simply trying to enjoy it. And we are doing our best to mitigate them without full-on raid spray. Well, I'm going to try to not listen to that little Tibetan monk yeah, just on kill my him. shoulder. Just okay? kill him. And I don't, but I don't want to come back as a box elder beetle. I mean, come on. That's okay if you do, because then you'll just want somebody to kill you really fast. <laughs> and get it over exactly. with. Exactly. Yeah. Send, send, send you back to being something like an ant that I'll save later on. Oh, perfect. I love that. The other thing I want to talk about is I exclusively shop online. I am six foot seven. My proportions do not fit normal clothes. It is a Herculean effort to find a traditional large or an extra large or a size 34 with a 34 inseam that fits me properly. Most of my sizes are large tall or extra large tall or something like a 35 waist and a 34 inseam. It almost doesn't exist. I am a rare breed of a human being. But the other day I said to you, hey, I think I might be able to find some dress pants. Do you want to accompany me? And we'll just go hop, skip, and jump around to all these different department stores in our area. The first thing I have to say is there is no inventory anywhere that I care about for the most part. No, no, nothing. There's nothing of note. It is, if you can just picture a department store for a man, it's all the stereotypical stuff. It's like blue suits, gray suits, brown suits. It's jeans. It's some graphic tees. Like there is nothing new and different at all. All there's nothing original. Second off, there are no sizes, like zero sizes that fit your boy. Nothing. We went to three department stores, 
over the course of like an hour and a half. I was looking for dress pants, kind of linen dress pants. And I, I know it's late in the season, but I figured I could find a sale. And then there's some people like, you know, some brands like Tommy Bahama that sell that stuff, you know, year round because yep. that is Resort their brand. Wear. Yep. And I was looking for a linen-y shirt. None of that exists anywhere, like nowhere. People looked at me and they said, hey, it's not even that it's not seasonal for it. We really just don't carry it. I spent time looking for linen dress pants and linen shirts. And I walked away with a denim Native American print jacket and a denim Sherpa Native American print vest. It was so bad. And it made me realize this is exactly why you don't go shop in the real world. The real world, Kevin, does not cater to you. It does not care about you or your size. And during a pandemic where logistics is apparently a nightmare, there's nothing for you to even choose from if there was. It, well, it was a pretty poor shopping trip oh, I, my gosh. for me as well. I did buy some things, but I'm returning it all. So, yeah. you know, what good did it do, right? Did I mean, you try any of it on, though? Yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, not in the store. Oh, at home. No, when I got home. Because, you know, I had on... It was a cool, beautiful day, but I had on too many layers. True. It was just take it would have taken too much energy. That's the other thing that I think about too is when I go shopping, which I don't. I don't go shopping anymore. I, that I, unless it's a product or a good, I, I do do not go shopping for clothes that doesn't exist, especially after this last weekend. I have to consciously think about the clothes I'm going to wear to go try on clothes. Like, do I wear slip-on shoes or laces? Well, clearly you wear slip-on shoes, but what if the slip-on shoes don't really go with the outfit that you're wearing? And do I wear shorts? Well, I can wear shorts in the summer, but in the fall, it's going to be kind of hit and miss depending on what hour of the day you go out. And now I'm going to wear pants. Who wants to wear pants going to try on clothes? Because most of the pants I wear, I also wear a belt with them. So now if I'm wearing pants with a belt with lace-up shoes, why am I even going outside oh, yeah, anyways to try on trouble. clothes? I know by the time we we stopped at the grocery store on the way home, the grocery store, I think I said to you, because you dropped me off at the door, I'm completely exhausted. Exhausted. An hour and a half completely exhausted. I would rather at this point order 10 million things online Uh and just try them on and send them back and try them on and send them back. That's exactly what I did. Shout out Sheen, S-H-E-I-N. If you don't know about them. I'm worried about the quality that you're going to get. They're from mainland China. Yeah. Everything is a fraction of what it would cost in the States. It is huge on TikTok. I think it's very hit or miss, like black and white. Like there's no gray area. It either fits you or it doesn't. Well, and I think it's also like, I mean, the Chinese are making them so the sizing isn't right for you. Well, it just depends. Or the linen is see-through, I'm just going to say. I have tried extra larges that fit perfectly, and I've tried extra larges that look like they were suction cupped to my chest. (laughs) I've tried on pants that fit really well. And then I've tried on pants where they might as well have been painted on and I could in no way close them. It just literally depends on who made them. But when the pants are $7, you roll the dice. You just roll the dice. Yeah, no, it's for you, it's really, really hard. And the thing is with this wedding, it's um, there's a dinner we're going to where we've been, everybody that's going has been requested to wear white. Yep. And of course, we're going to be in Acapulco, so it's going to be very warm. And so there's that. And then the wedding, it's you've been requested to wear linen. Oh, yeah. Right? So, um, well, is it requested or did they say, like, hey, it's going to be hot and humid? The best thing for you is to wear this stuff. I, I mean, you could wear a full blown tuxedo if you wanted, well, you I could, guess. No, but 
what they told you is all the men are going to be wearing. What are those shirts? Oh, uh, cigar shirts. We call them cigar shirts because, That's not what they are. because they keep them in the, like they, they're supposed to keep the cigars in the, in the pockets, Yeah, but it's got a real name. Cuban shirts, Cuban shirts, but Cuba, there's a real Cubano Mexican shirts. Shirt. There's a real Mexican name, but everyone knows them, but it's a linen shirt. And so I think 90% of the men, it worst comes to worst, you break down and buy one of buy those 90% of the men will be wearing those. Uh, yeah, they're called Cuban shirts. Okay. Um, and those are, they come long sleeve, short sleeve. Those are nice. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's it's going to be beautiful, but it's going to be warm. And we want to be comfortable, and I'd like your clothes to fit you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. Not I, a big request. But just, again, to anybody like who goes out and shops on the reg, good for you. Because I, similar to running, which I'll never do the rest of my life, I will never go out to a department store and shop. But I'll tell you this, it was really fun being back in the Macy's. I have not been in that Macy's, I don't know, in like 10 years I had like real nostalgia vibes. Oh, did like you? Like little kid nostalgia oh, vibes wow. being in Macy's. It's like, this is the reality of 2021. I'm old enough to remember how cool and quaint it was to go to the mall because all of my shopping is now done in front of a screen. Yeah. Well, and that Macy's is, our Macy's could use some help. I'm not going to lie. So the, the woman who helped me try to find linen, Marsha, who was in mm. a boot, spoke mm. to Marsha in a boot. I said... So how is it? I mean, how is it finding people? How is it working? And she said, you know, we're hiring a lot of people that aren't dependable. And we find that out usually within the first week. She said, business has been booming for the region that Macy's is apparently tops for for sales. But we hear that about a lot of stores in Reno. Yeah. But everybody working looked tired. Everybody working looked tired. Well, I don't know if you heard this uh, there was a loudspeaker announcement in my Macy's because at our mall, the men's Macy's and the women's Macy's are at opposite ends of the mall. Yeah. If you looked at an aerial view of our mall, our mall, which is now the old mall, kind of looks like a snowflake. It has wings. And at the end of every, not wing, but like a wing, like a house wing. And at the end of every wing, there was like, well, there was a Sears, but then there's a JCPenney's, then there's a men's Macy's, then there's a woman's Macy's. So it's, it kind of has the, maybe a star is, is a better description of it. And then everything kind of meets in the middle. So if he's, his, if he's at the men's Macy's and I'm at the women's Macy's, we're nowhere near each other. Nope. Um, they were making announcements that were like, hey, Macy's shoppers, we are looking to find 150 well-qualified employees. That's a lot for our Macy's, Kev. And I will tell you, you had to look. What happened was a personal shopper grabbed me. Yep. I think I had so much. She was like, mm, I'll grab her. Yeah, I, I want that commission. Yeah, a personal shopper grabbed me and took me into the personal shopper area and rang everything up. So that was terrific. But I will tell you, I wandered and wandered and wandered and registers just weren't open. I mean, yeah. it's it's really, it's become, they should just have a register at the exits and it's like a grocery store. Self-checkout I stuff. Mean, yeah, because it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great experience, but again, thank you for Marsha for being kind to me, trying yeah. to help me find linen. And thank you to the personal shopper that came and rescued me and rang my stuff up. So Deb, you and I started talking about um, the Dave Chappelle saga last week, and I find it really interesting. And what we're going to talk about is not whether or not we can make fun of the transgender community. And we're really not going to get into the transgender community at all. I really just want to talk about comedy and I want to talk about censorship. 
because ultimately that's all I care about. It's up to the individual to decide whether or not they want to listen to Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest working comedian probably of the last 10 years. I think he's brilliant. I think the, uh, the Chappelle show was cutting edge comedy. I think he earned everybody's respect when he walked away from the $50 million deal from Comedy Central. He found himself. He went to Africa. He decided if I'm going to come back to the business of show, I'm going to do it on my own terms. And that came in the form of like a $100 million deal with Netflix for something like six specials. As somebody who has done comedy, I completely understand that the appeal of comedy for a lot of people is being able to say things that you couldn't normally say in, you know, just a mixed group that for five, 10 minutes or an hour, you have a group of people's undivided attention to more or less say whatever it is you want to say. And it's up to, up to them to decide whether or not they think it's funny. You and I watched The Closer prior to mm-hmm. any of this happening. Right. And and listen, he Dave Chappelle has had his issues with the transgender community. I have watched all of his Netflix specials. I think some are maybe a little more aggressive than this one was, but he's won uh, Grammys for them. I mean, they've been commercial successes, the likes of which most comedians never see. And it catapulted him back into the spotlight of being not only like the comedian's comedian, but being the best working comedian in the planet. So you watched it. Mm -hmm. You sat through most of it. Deb can't really sit down for a lot of like (laughs) long, long segments, like an hour and a half movie. She's getting up a couple times. So the Dave Chappelle show, the Dave Chappelle special, she probably watched 45 minutes of. I think I watched most of it. Maybe missed like the last 15 minutes. You okay. were doing laundry. Not a big deal. You, oh, no, 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 you no. Got the, you have the idea of it, so the, the, the time frame doesn't well, and matter. And I said at the end, I made the comment to you at the time, that I felt like he put a good tail on it at the end of it. Yeah. So as a woman, yeah. a white woman yeah. of a certain age, yeah. give me your take just on the special, and then we can talk about the fallout afterwards. So, um, well, I like Dave Chappelle's delivery. I like, I mean, like the stuff that is the funniest to me are just the little subtleties, oh, yeah. the weird little things he says, or just the little turn of his head or, you know, he had a habit that night of putting his foot up on the speaker thing, yep. just the way he leans into it. So it's, it's really all the subtleties and nuance of Dave Chappelle that I find funny. Yep. Um, I'm not going to lie. He made me a little uncomfortable. Let myself be a little uncomfortable. I guess Dave Chappelle didn't make me uncomfortable, but I was like, ooh, is he really going to go here and do this? And he did, you know? And uh, I mean, I I was consciously thinking like, gosh, is there going to be like a lot of fallout about this? Like, what is this going to be? But then, you know, he kind of... I wouldn't say that he put a neat bow on it. I'm going to say put kind of a sloppy bow on it. Do you know what I mean? Talking about his own relationship, you know, with a transgender friend and the way the ending came about. Do you know what I mean? So I, and I said to you that night, like, I think he wrapped it up, but I could see, I wanted to say this, where anybody, any person, let alone a transgender person, any person could have been offended 
in the middle um, by the content. So, which is a choice to be offended is a choice. Of course. So what I would say um, as it relates to me watching it as somebody who's done comedy and, and can, and appreciates everybody that's ever tried it and, and certainly admires anybody that's ever been successful with it. It's really hard for me to get into the mindset of judgment, but I'm also a white guy, mm-hmm. right? Everybody can make fun of me and it's never not funny. And I will always laugh with it. That joking about white men has been so perfectly curated through time that if there was really anything said, I would look at that person. I would say, you, you got your own issues at this point. Like right. if you can't watch other people make fun of you, there's some, there's a therapist's couch for you. He was inevitably going to talk about the transgender community because that's what this thing was kind of setting up for because he had done it in every other special. And it was met with tons of upheaval mm-hmm. from that community. And essentially what caused everybody's issue for Dave was he believes that there are two genders. You are born a, a male or you are born a female. And he drives that point home by saying every single person in this world was born through the legs of a woman. He goes on to say, that how you want to identify and how you want to change your gender or what pronouns you want to be called or anything like that, absolutely, that's up to you. But there are only two genders, male and female. Right. And that clearly doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Right. And then when you talk about the transgender community in the form of comedy, The transgender community, I think, believes you're making fun of them as opposed to laughing with them. Right. And what Dave is saying is, if you're telling anybody anywhere in the world that you can't talk about a certain subject matter, that's censorship. And America's not about censorship. I mean, you can get into the nitty gritty about it. Of course it is. First, I mean, free speech, period. Yeah. Yeah. But comedy especially Every single thing is up for grabs, including something that is so polarizing like the transgender community. As I watched it, I thought he was doing his best to not make fun of them, but make jokes about how riled up they would get at the belief that people are making fun of them Mm -hmm. with the the notion that, Every comedian makes fun of every topic that has ever existed. They make fun of all races, all genders, all religions. They make fun of murder. At the point that people could start making jokes about rape that other people laughed about and that other people gave them a pass for, I think the comedic community said, it's no holds barred. We can talk about everything under the sun now. But then the transgender community said, but not us. And I think that's what Dave Chappelle's issue is, is he's saying, I get that I need to be tactful in the way that I tell this joke, but you can't tell me not to joke about you because you don't find it comfortable. I'm going to continue to make the jokes and you can try to cancel me because you don't like it. But at the point that we're telling comedians what they can and can't joke about, that's just a whole different 1984 lifestyle that none of us want to get into. Fair? Mm. 
That's what he's saying. I'm not saying that. That's what yeah. he's saying. So uh, I get exactly what he's saying. And I feel like if Dave Chappelle was sitting here with me explaining it to me. Oh, my God. First guest, Dave Chappelle. Come on in, buddy. <laughs> I think that I would be like, yeah, Dave, I totally get it. Because I think he's a super smart guy. I think he's brilliant. And I think he's super like intuitive and insightful. Um, but then it's kind of like if I get away from Dave, then I'm a little bit like, oh, I don't know, Dave. This feels pretty weird. So, I mean, absolutely do I believe in free speech, of course. Do I believe in free speech even when it makes people uncomfortable? Of course, because speech is either free or it's not. Yep. It's black and white. I mean, that there's no gray on free speech, all right? So, and I know comedians are kind of the test of it for us in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, they're the right? canaries in the coal mine, for sure. For sure. Um, and I know the other part is, I just want to say as an entertainer, and as a comedian, if you have to explain what you're doing, then something is sorely lost. Yeah, everybody right? knows rule number one. A joke is not funny if you have to explain if it. If you have to explain it. On the flip side, the counter side of it, and this is the part where I just get a little heebie-jeebie a little bit. And I'm not saying that something should change because of my heebie-jeebies. I'm just saying this is you know where it lies for me, is... Um, if somebody has an experience, and you mentioned rape, but if somebody has an experience that really it has been, I'm just going to say so life wounding, do you know what I mean? As a result of that, um, and then that person hears somebody else make a joke about it, and I'm not talking about, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who could not listen to jokes about rape, for instance, right? Um, it just you know, do I think there shouldn't be any jokes about that in the world? I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, do I think people should be banned? Nope, I don't. But do I think people should be know their audience? Yep, I do. You know, so I think some of this is know your audience a little bit. I want to say that. Um, but at the same time, I think it would be totally wrong and in the name your audience category to say if we had you, a white guy, making jokes to a white audience about people of color, that wouldn't feel right to me. Do you mean that would feel bad to sure. you? So it's kind of like you have to know your bigger audience other than the obvious audience. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. And for Dave Chappelle, a huge part of his audience has become transgender folk because they, their eyes are on him. They're watching him. They're yeah. waiting, you know? And I do believe he's enlightened, but I believe he's also within the show, let's just say within the show, not willing to serve it up on a silver platter. In what way? He doesn't, he, he, he won't be obvious about his support of them in the show. Well, I think what he's well, I think what he's saying is he supports anybody to be what they want to be, but his argument his I mean, this is his argument. There are two genders. Yeah. That's his argument. Yeah. yeah. Like, there are two genders. And whatever you want to be outside of what you were born as, go be it. But that doesn't stop he, the reality of that there are only two genders. That's what he's saying. So here's the thing with Dave Chappelle. For him, really, I'm going to say it's probably about chromosomes. If you talked chromosomes, that's what it is for Dave Chappelle. Oh, yeah. Like you he know? would say at its at its basic core element, 
there are men and there are women, and right. that is it. Yeah. And what you want to be, the freedom of choice after that, is entirely up to you. But we can't have a conversation if we're not willing to come to terms on the basis of the conversation is that men are born and women are born. Yeah. And that's it. And then the the dilemma there becomes, and it's not like the pronoun even, but the dilemma becomes, I think, like the they pro you know, pronoun, do you know what I mean? They, I'd like to be called they, yep. um, you know, that pronoun is undefinable, which people choose it for exactly that reason. And then he is not acknowledging it by what he believes, right? Oh, I don't know that he has a problem with the pronouns. I think when he starts making jokes about that, he's just saying the learning curve for everybody, now that we're starting to add in things like they, mm-hmm. he's saying, that's that's like new within the last decade. Yeah. So it's it's tough for you to hold everybody's feet to the fire when it's st- still being learned. Well, and th- I think that's a point that that I feel like is important to make is this: the trans transgenders are not brand new, but transgenders, I'm I'm going to say, are new to so many people. The idea of it. And so, and it's new in the way that they're being able to come out. Well, is it new or is it now in the public eye where it needs to be addressed? That's why I said it wasn't. It's never been new. I mean, it's like there's been transgender people forever. There have been gay people forever. Do you know what I mean? It's just what's in the light and what we get to see and what we're talking about, right? And so now we're all saying, and I think we, well, the whole world doesn't believe this, but, you know, certainly we're saying that we, you and I, believe that they get to, that anybody gets to be whoever they want to be, of course. and rightfully so. Yep. Um, but I think in the transgender community, what he is saying—I don't want to speak for Dave Chappelle—but I think what he's saying is this is kind of a new thing, right? And which I don't disagree with that, meaning it's not really new, but. The introduction to the average person yeah. on the street is you new. have a seat at the table. You have a seat, and, at the ta- and you're yeah. the newest person and at you're the, the table. You're the newest person at the table. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. And I just think that there's some discomfort be- from that. But I also compare it to. Here's what I want to say: If there's a transgender young person who has, I'm saying, you know, we know horrible things have happened to some of those people, right? And has really been, I mean, treated horribly psychologically, emotionally, and then even physically, right? And hasn't been acknowledged appropriately just as a human being, and has really been wounded and scarred through the process, right? They've got the seat at the table, but that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't accommodate the wounding and everything that comes from it. No different than a woman that, you know, was brutally raped. Do you know what I mean? I mean, gosh, you gave her a seat at the table, but she was still brutally raped. Then if you sit down at the, someone sits down at the table and makes jokes, I'm just saying that's hard. Well, so then that's hard. But so that's the conversation, right? The conversation is what can we And what can't we make fun of? And if we're going to start policing this thing, then what's to stop us from policing everything? That's the argument that he's making, to which doesn't that responsibility lie with the individual to not expose themselves to something that could trigger trauma or anxiety or depression or anger or fear, which if we all agree, comedy shows 
are no holds barred up for grab as it relates to any topic that if you are suffering from some kind of trauma or if a wound is still fresh or if you are a transgender person in the community who is not rock solid with who they are yet, that it's not on Dave Chappelle to make sure that you're okay. It's up to you to make the decision to keep yourself safe and avoiding topics that could do that to you. Well, 100%. I mean, because again, back to free speech, it's black and white, either get it or you don't, right? And we get it. I mean, we all want to be able to say what we want to say, wherever we want to say it. I mean, that's the whole deal. Um, But I mean, I do think, I mean, Dave Chappelle probably within the transgender community comes with a bit of a warning label on him. Do you know what I mean? For sure. And I do think if, you know, you're transgender and you're going to watch Dave Chappelle, um, I mean, it's kind of like a cautionary, you know, label should be there. Like this could potentially trigger you. I'm not going to lie. A thousand percent. Yeah, of course. And, And I would say if you didn't think he was going to talk about it, you you should have just referenced his five previous specials. It yeah. was going yeah. to he would that this was the culmination. It was going to happen. And Dave Chappelle, after the fact, said, "I'm no longer going to be talking about the transgender community in my standup." He started an 18 city tour that has like sold out arenas in nanoseconds, mm-hmm. and he doesn't talk about the community anymore. What he talks about is people trying to cancel him, and I don't think he uses the transgender name anymore. He just talks about people trying to cancel him Yeah, and what he has seen. And this is where things get so bizarre because Dave Chappelle is probably middle of the road as it relates to like social issues. And as it relates to politics, I think he sees everything for what it is and wouldn't simply assign himself as a Republican or a Democrat. He would say, I have fluidity within the issue that we're talking about. Right. But because he is being, uh, trying to be canceled by an extremely liberal side Mm -hmm. of the political spectrum, it then brings real conservatives over to his side of the argument. Which is not... To which Dave Chappelle would say, I'm not advocating for you either. Get away from me. Yeah, so it's this really weird hodgepodge of people kind of taking up arms together to which I think if Dave Chappelle was honest, he would say, I'm Dave Chappelle. I don't speak for any of you. I'm not going to be your mascot, and I'm not going to be your enemy. If you don't want to consume me, there are an infinite amount of content creators in the world. Go find them. And if you think that I'm the mouthpiece for whatever conservative propaganda you have, go find somebody else for that because I in no way sign up for that either. Well, and if you look, I mean, it. Uh, the audience was very, you could see the audience very clearly. Oh, yeah. Right? There, there's, there's two women in the audience who are the thermometer, the thermostat for for probably the transgender community. When the show starts, man, they are with him. They are clapping. They are happy. As the show progresses and as he gets further into the topic of the transgender community, those two women, stone-faced. And I think it's intentional that they're included. Right. Well, so it is an audience of color for sure. Um, I mean, there are definitely white people, but an audience of color. And obviously we don't know anybody's sexual orientation from just looking at them in the audience. You can assume it. There's things we can assume. And I said certain things, you said certain things about the audience. For the most part, people openly laughed all the way through it. 
every once in a while there was the, which I said about when dad took me to Eddie Murphy a thousand years ago, where I was horrified at myself for laughing. There was a little that where people just shook their heads, but still laughing. Do you know what I mean? Or put their hands up and covered their face, but still laughing. Right. So I would say if I, um, if I base it on the audience that we could see and it was, and the audience was well lit, um, most of them were with him. Oh, most For of them sure. were with him. He you know? just did a show in Nashville last week that uh, there was an arena show that had something like 18,000 people in it. I read recaps about it. There was people in attendance who had also attended sports games in, in that stadium. And they said when Dave Chappelle came out, they couldn't hear. It was just that like muffled mm-hmm. white noise. The loud, mm-hmm. the noise was so loud that it's almost, it's more of a sensation. Like you yep. feel it. They said it was unlike anything I've ever seen at a sporting event, let alone like a live performance. It was crazy. Now, I don't know what that says about Nashville, but he had 18,000 people that were clearly there for him and there to support him and on whatever his side was that they've, they've managed to say they're on. Here's one thing that I will say about Dave Chappelle, and I would encourage anybody, you know, whether you like his jokes or not, to watch a portion of it. And this is why. Often with comedians, um, you feel like there's a shtick in there sometimes that isn't really who that person is. Oh, yeah, like a persona. Right. And then there's comedians where you go, that's who that person is. Uh-huh. I mean, they're showing us themselves. I think Amy Schumer is one yep. that she shows us Amy Schumer, which is whether you like Amy Schumer or not. I like that about Amy Schumer, right? That she shows you herself. I don't think she goes home and sits down and there's a different Amy, you know, Dave Chappelle is about as transparent and authentic and genuine as a person on stage can be. I do believe that. A thousand percent. And that comes through loud and clear. And that part, the fact that he's able to do that and command the attention that he does, and really his comedy is a conversation, you know, for the most part, I mean, is a talent that can't be ignored. There's no question about that. I agree with you. And and, and I think you said it right. The comedian's who have world fame, the comedians who can do this as a profession for 20, 30, 40 years, they are presenting a version of themselves, a hyperbolic version, but at the core themselves. And that's what you should take as a reason to either listen to or not listen to their specials. If you agree with them, then they're probably going to say the things that you're willing to laugh at and, and find some some through line that makes sense to you and who you are and your upbringing. But if you don't like them as a person or what they stand for, then you're probably not going to like them and they're special. Yeah. And it's not even, I don't even think it's what they stand for. If you go back and look at George Carlin, who I think was a really smart comedian for his time, right? And yet he said some things that I can just remember hearing them in that present moment. Like, did you hear what he just said? You know, now by today's standards, we could probably listen to most of what George Carlin said and not be horrified, right? Because we've been a little bit desensitized to it. But if I can take you back to the 70s and 80s, it, you know, and you could feel that world, it, it would feel different. So, um, I mean, I don't know. It's certainly, I've always, this is one thing that I've always said 
about being insulted and being offended, right? It's, and, and there's one thing that you hold your friends accountable to, or even I'm going to say a social circle accountable to, you know, I, for the most part, choose to be offended or not. If you have the label of comedian on you, meaning that's what you're trying to do, that's how you're trying to make your livelihood, then that's, that gives you a little bit wider space. If you're just a normal human being saying really crappy things to me, yeah. you know what I mean, that's like a different thing. And so, I mean, I think we can't, the one thing we can't do is take that person that that's their career, their comedy is a thing. Um, and I don't think we get to say, you know, they're just being a crappy person. I would say, say it as this, and this is how I think everybody wants to be treated as equal. That's all anybody wants, right? That's all anybody in this yeah. world wants. That's all women want. That's all men want. That's all minorities want. That's all re- religions want. That's what people of any gender want. They all want to be treated as equal. There is nothing more equal than a comedian making fun of you. It is up for yeah. grabs. And I get that it's sensitive and I get that it might strike the right, the wrong chord. But if you want fairness and you want equality, you turn to the people who are unabashed, who will look at everybody as fair game and say, I'm not making fun of you because who you are. I'm making fun of you no different than I would make fun of anybody else because I don't view you as any different. And and I do think what you said earlier is important. Like if I know myself, I know I can hear female jokes all day. I can hear blonde jokes all day. I can hear, uh, a woman as she's getting older all day. Do you know what I mean? I can hear young, dumb women jokes all day. Do you know what I mean? Whatever they are. Um, you know, I don't know. Can I hear rape jokes? Probably not very well. Can I tell you, this is not, this is, A, this is not my joke. And this is not like a rape joke. But this this joke was told in a comedy club that I, w- that I performed at. And I thought it was the smartest joke in the world. Can I tell it? it, it trust me, everybody will be fine. So there's this guy who's performing <sighs> the bit. And he was this kind of scrawny dude, brunette, uh, very like hipster-esque, right? And he was telling the story how he was on a subway. And while he was on the subway, there was this beautiful woman who was also in the car with him. And there's like five or six other people. And he said, I think it was the last train of the night. Like we were getting to our stop around 11. And she kind of looked at me a couple of times. And I looked down, I looked back at her. We had some eye contact and it was nice. And he said, so there was like six or seven more stops, but we both ended up getting off at the same stop. And as we exited, she was about five or six steps ahead of me and, and I was walking behind her. And we go through the exit and she looks back at me and I kind of give her a little grin and she keeps walking and turns out that we're still walking up the same block. And she looks back at me and, and I, like, I look at her and I make eye contact with her and, and she takes a left and he goes, and, and unbeknownst to me, that's the left that I have to take. And so as she takes the left, she looks back at me and I look at her and I give her a little smile and she starts to walk a little faster. And I think like, oh, she's, she's a little flirty. She's kind of, she's kind of making it up, kind of, you know, acting a little, a little flirty with me. And so then I start walking a little faster because it's a little game that we're playing. And she looks back at me and I give her a smile. And then she starts running. And I think, I think to myself like, oh, okay, like we're going to start running. This is fun. This is, this is a different way of flirting. I like this. This is nice. And then she looks back at me and there's sheer terror on her face. And she says, rapist, rapist. And I realize, 
oh my gosh, there's somebody trying to rape both of us. We got to get out of here. That joke to me is clearly not a rape joke, but it takes that horrible act and at least adds some brevity to it if you're willing and able to hear that. Right. So I butchered that joke, uh, but it was, you get the premise of it, right? I mean, certainly clever, but here's what I want to say though. If I have been raped, sure, I may not be able to laugh at that or hear that. I may go right to the place of what the hell was wrong with him that he chased. I mean, that he didn't realize earlier. I mean, like I could, I can break it apart like but that. But isn't that the argument that if you're going to go to a comedy show and try to apply real world facts to it, you shouldn't be going to a then, comedy and show? And what I was going to say is. Part of it is knowing where you're going. And part of it even is just saying, like, look, this guy doesn't need to stop with his joke, but I need to kind of excuse myself for this part of it, I'm going to say. But also, too, here's the other deal. Guess what? I get to get offended, and I get to not like him, and I get to write something online, if that's my deal, and say, this is why I don't like him. But, you know, I mean, at that point, I don't like his jokes. I don't like his humor. I can call him insensitive. That's about it, right? I mean, that's about all I get to do. And anybody gets to say that. And anybody gets to say that Anybody gets to say that and apply that to any person who is who is up on stage exposing themselves and saying, it is your right to criticize me. My job is to try to make you laugh. And if what I'm saying is not hitting you the way I hope it would, then you as an individual who paid a ticket to come and sit down and watch me perform for you gets to say no. Well, And you get to say no in the form of either not laughing or walking out. It's no different than if you talk, um, if you see the interviews and there's a bunch of them, of the Saturday Night Live crew that was around on 9-11, right? And of course, everything in New York was, you know, shut down for how long? And when they first got back to work, the conversations about, because, you know, it's a lot of writers and a lot of, you know, actors, when can they make a joke about it? 9-11. I mean, like that's wild in their city, in the city that it happened in. And one of the things that they said is they had to bring some lightness to it. And they talked about the degree that they could, you know, even for themselves, Mm -hmm. that they could do it, but that they had to, that it it couldn't go unaddressed. Agreed. Right. You know? And so, I mean, that is, I do think that we count on the world of comedy to take the burden of a tragedy sometimes and lighten it up for us. I mean, I, I, I think that's something as a society we look for. And it's just everybody is going to have an opinion about the right time. I agree with you. And, and, and I don't think we set out in this conversation to solve anything. I think it's a conversation that everybody should have. You should watch the special if it's inquisitive to you. You should try to extrapolate from it what makes sense to you. And then you can form your own opinion. And if your own opinion is, hey, I believe in comedy and I believe everything is up for grabs, great. Or if you say, I believe in comedy, but this isn't my type of comedy, I get that too. We all can agree that everything isn't for everyone. And if it's not your cup of tea, quit trying to drink it. And that's okay. There's no, there's certainly no judgment on it not being your cup of tea for sure.
Hey, let's talk about Survivor. Okay. Okay, Deborah, let's get to Survivor 41. The thing that you and I are slowly losing steam over, but at least there was some dramatics this week. So I'm not going to recap last week, even though this was a continued episode, but they left us with this cliffhanger. Erica, who was on Exile Island, had the opportunity to either let things stay the exact same or flip them on their head where the people who won immunity could keep it and the people who didn't win immunity had to fight for it or flip it over and the people who won immunity now lost it and the people who had to fight for it were now given it. And Erica walked in and she was about ready to spill the beans and Jeff knew like, hey, we need to slow down here because we need some drama with this. And he had to explain to everybody what actually was happening before Erica just word vomited everything and ruined (laughs) all of production's drama as it relates to this singular season. And Jeff is enjoying his personal one-on-one time with the camera this year. Let's be honest. Yeah. So really, as no surprise, Erica smashes the glass hourglass. So everybody that had immunity loses it and vice versa. So the people who should be pissed at Erica are Danny, Deshaun, Nasir, Ricard, Evie, and Sydney. And the people that should be happy with Erica are Chantel, Liana, Xander, Tiff, and Heather. Now keep in mind, the people that should be pissed at her are mostly her original tribe. That is correct, Debra. And so if we remember back, because we did mention this before, uh, when her tribe was winning everything and there was no drama and they should have just relaxed, they were trying to figure out ways to throw um, a challenge and get rid of Erica, right? That's so true. I, I guess this is good retribution for her, but the problem is, I mean, this is serious enemy-making if you really do it right, correct? Absolutely. So they immediately go into the immunity challenge and it's a challenge they've done before. It's a challenge where you have to stack blocks, long rectangular blocks in a circle, then stack blocks again on top of them and then plant a flag in the middle of all those blocks that you stacked. Oh, by the way, you can only use your feet. Deborah, how good at that game would you be? So the thing about that game, it you know, it's basically about a person's core, the strength of their core, yeah. how well they can do, right? And sometimes it's really surprising who can do well. And because you, you kind of think girls, their feet are smaller, maybe a little bit more agile, more adept, but often it's like some lumbering guy that just has a solid core that boom, 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 does it. I will say this, it is not a fun one for me to watch it's not a fun one. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it does even the playing field. I'll say that because anybody could do it. I personally <laughs> would last about 20 seconds yeah. sitting on my ass. With, can, I guess they can lean back on their hands a little bit. Oh, no, they can but, use their hands for support for sure. But sitting back on my ass with my feet from the top of the thigh to the toe suspended in midair trying to place blocks on a, a circle and not knock anything down. I do mean, it's a lot. you think it, is, it would be hard with your air cast walking boots or do you think <laughs> you could manage to do that? 
I think I would have to take the Aircast walking boot off. And then here's the problem is that foot, what will happen is that foot will cramp up. So it could go very bad on me. So yeah. I I have long toes. Clearly, I have Oh, you, you have finger toes, finger toes for sure. And I feel like we've talked about this exact challenge on this podcast before, but I don't remember. But I would say that I would be better than most for two reasons. One, because I have toes that can actually grip things like hands. Yeah, yeah. But also I can get my legs high enough to, to take the flag over the blocks and put the flag in the middle and essentially, that was most everybody's problem was they couldn't get their legs high enough to take the flag and plant it in the middle of the blocks that they stacked. Because really, this was just a three-person race. This was down to Evie, this was down to Sydney, and this was down to Ricard. And Evie had a pretty good 10 to 15-second lead. And when she grabbed her flag with her toes and she tried to bring it over to put it in the middle... The first thing she did was hit a block and then she's got to drop the flag and she's got to pick the block up. So then it was Sydney and Sydney was doing the same thing, but she was struggling mightily because she couldn't get her flag just over the top of that second row of blocks, which then gave uh, Ricard an opening and Ricard's bigger than both, meaning his legs can go a little higher than theirs. And with, I don't know, like a half a second, 0.75 seconds, Ricard was able to plant his flag just before Sydney planted her flag, which then gave Ricard immunity and left Sydney, Evie, Danny, Deshaun, and Nasir up for elimination. So here's the interesting thing, and I don't recall, you could probably, you, you pay better attention to the details. When Jeff gives the instructions for that thing, yeah. I do believe the flag has to be planted last, correct? Oh, of I course. mean, like yeah, that. For sure. But it would be so much easier if they did. Oh, no, no, I'm thinking of it wrong. The, the, the blocks are right on top of each other. No, no, you're they? right. If you were able to actually um, plant the flag first, that challenge becomes infinitely easier. Yeah. Which is why yeah. you don't get to plant the, yeah. the flag first. Yeah. It's the last yeah. thing because. They're hoping you do exactly what Evie did, which is miscalculate, knock a block over, and now you go from being in the lead to scrambling to just try to get back to even. So this whole episode was nothing more than about gameplay. Like they knocked out the immunity challenge super fast so that we could fast forward and get back to camp and watch all hell break loose. And that's exactly what happened. They all said yep. within the first five minutes, they all started scrambling. And the factions were pretty clear. You had Chantel and Liana and Danny and Deshaun who had formed their group of four, which also brought in Ricard and Nasir. So then they had six. So just right there, they had six. And then the people who were kind of in between would have been Heather, Evie, and maybe Tiff, simply because Tiff is a total nonsensical non-athlete who just follows her emotions that are always wrong. And on the other side, you had Xander, Sydney, Erica, who we thought Erica, and and Tiff. Because Tiff had said, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I think I'm going to side with these people. But what ultimately ended up happening was Chantel looked at Leanna and said, 
I think the person we need to get rid of because she's good at challenges and smart is Evie. But Evie was a ride or die with Leanna. Right. Remember, it was Leanna and Tiff and Evie, the, those girls those against yep. Xander. I mean, and then, of course, we can't really, it's hard to tell on any given day because Xander acts totally loyal to them. Yeah. But it's hard to tell if they care about Xander even a whip, you know? I mean. So Leanna, without like any hesitation, well, I mean, some hesitation, then it's kind of like, whatever. It says, okay, yeah. I'm with you. And then they start to put out feelers. And one of the feelers goes to Tiff, which she should be the last person you consult on anything. Honestly, you shouldn't even consult Tiff. You should put Tiff on a raft, shove her out to the ocean. <laughs> I agree. Grab her when tribal's ready, and then just let her vote the way she needs to vote. Because Leanna brought in Tiff, said, hey, we're voting Evie. Tiff immediately scampers over to Evie and says, they're coming for you which now here are the domino pieces. Then Evie, who had always planned on getting Xander out of the game, but kept nice just in case she needed him, immediately turns to Xander and says, they're coming for me. I know you have an idol. Will you play it for me? To which Xander says, you're safe, you're fine. And this is the part where, where I love these survivor relationships where somebody has a little more information than the other person. Evie says, okay, well... You can't actually play it for me the way you want to because Leanna knows that you have the idol and her advantage is that she can pretty much take anybody else's advantage. So you're going to have to give it to me prior to tribal because she's going to try to take it from you. So right. in that moment, if I was Andrew, I'd be like, wait a minute, you want these things from me and now you're telling me the entire scope of what I'm working with. Why should I be trusting you again? What is it about you that makes me want to help you? And it, and here's the thing now in this case, I mean, I'm criticizing Tiff, but in this case, Tiff was right. I mean, what Tiff told um, Evie was sure, correct. Okay. But I still have to say, I mean, it bears being said they did it all on Tiff's word. I mean, even though Tiff happened to be right, they did it all on Tiff's word. Who does anything based on Tiff's word, which then circles me back around to Leanna. Why would you tell Tiff anything? You of all people see how she is. She has seen it since day one. And from last episode, which this is a continuation from, Tiff was pissed at Leanna because Leanna didn't tell Tiff about the advantage she had to find out because Chantel had said to Tiff, or as Chantel had said to Leanna in front of everybody, hey, by the way, when we went on that hike, did you end up getting the advantage? Ha ha ha, right in front of everybody. And then Tiff was like, wait a minute, I know you got an advantage. I'm going to go back and tell everybody else that you shouldn't be trusted. Now I don't trust you. And that's why you don't ever tell Tiff anything because she can't be trusted. If I had one question, one interview question for each of these people, I would ask each of them, honestly, have you ever watched Survivor before? Right. Because I got to tell you, for the most part, they're not, they're playing like it's a new game. Yeah. They're not playing like they know. And even though some of the things have changed and most of the things that have changed, let it be known, I'm not thrilled about. However, it's still the same game. Totally. It's who you can trust and who you can't trust. That's it. That's all it right. boils down to. Who do you trust and no, who you can't trust? Nobody there can keep a secret for the life of them. No, not even a little bit. So so we start to see the factions form and then they go to tribal council. And again, this whole episode was a, was about the gameplay because they go to tribal council and there's still like 20 minutes left in the show. 
and there are some some niceties, but I would say those niceties lasted like all of 30 seconds. And before you can even say vote, these people are talking about alliances. These people are talking about ad- advantages. I mean, we're probably like a minute and a half into tribal before Leanna starts saying things about people. And it's like thinly veiled who she's talking about. She's clearly talking about Xander and she's talking about Xander's idol, which then spurs on Xander to reach deep into his pocket and pull out his idol to show it to everybody to which he says, well, it's pretty obvious now that I have this and this is my safekeeping and this is what I'm going to do. And we see Leanna, the the thought starts churning and she says, well, I have an advantage too. And she pulls out her advantage. And her advantage is, is if she asks somebody a question, essentially what she needs to ask Xander is, can I have your idol? That individual has to then give it to her. And this is the very first Deb versus Kev moment <laughs> on Survivor. Deb has Leanna. Kevin has Xander. And it is mono e Mono and Leanna looks at Xander and says, Can I have your idol? Which should automatically trigger him giving over the idol, to which he says, No, but you can have this fake one. And that's a massive point for old Kev right there. And my boy Xander, well, who I thought was stupid, who is now smart. And, and honestly, in that moment, I half expected production or Jeff or somebody to go, Whoa, 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 no, no, no. Like you can't make a fake idol and give her that. No way. However, however, the part that is the most important, he had genuinely given his idol yep. to Evie. He didn't have it to give anymore. The rule was if you have the idol or advantage in your possession, you have to give it over. And knowing the nuances of the game, Evie said, give it to me. I'll hold on to it. So when she asks for it, you're playing within the rule and spirit of the game. And of course, Xander had made a fake idol prior to all of this happening. He gave Evie the idol before they went to tribal council. Leanna thought that he was in possession of it, that she had kept it quiet. But because Tiff had told Evie and Evie had told Xander, they were able to cut Leanna off at the pass. But here's my problem with Leanna's advantage. Now she gets to at least flush the idol out, meaning we know Xander doesn't have it. We know Evie's name has been bantered about, so we know she has it. So everybody else not affiliated with our group, pretty much Sydney or Tiff, is up to be voted out. And Evie, to an extent, is still vulnerable if she doesn't play her idol. So again, you've complained about it. Other people on online survivor forums have complained about it. This game has gotten a little too wacky. They're throwing a lot at the audience and there's so much new stuff. It's almost impossible to track. And I think one of the downfalls of Leanna's advantage is that you kind of know now where, where the idol sits unless they start handing it off in secret again. Well, and then you've got crazy people like Tiff who's going to go, I didn't know about all that. I didn't know that Xander made a fake idol and I didn't know that Xander gave Evie and I didn't know. And if I didn't know, then I can't trust any of you. Right. I mean, pretty soon the list of people she can't trust because she didn't know is going to be literally everybody. But by the end, I mean, by the end towards voting, 
the same three names were being bantered, correct? Well, that whole process like triggered a massive upheaval. Upheaval. Nobody was sitting down. Everybody was talking in everybody else's ears. Like if if nobody had COVID before, they were all spreading COVID <laughs> at tribal council. That is for, for sure. sure. They were all whispering in each other's ears, whispering back and forth, like running across the stage of tribal trying to get each other's attention. And and again, the reason I don't really like it is they did a wide shot and you saw there was essentially eight people on one side and four people on the other side. Mm-hmm. And the four people in, on the other side were Evie, Xander, Tiff, and Sydney, and then the other eight. So it was very clear that the eight people had a majority and they had enough to be able to split votes. And so when they went to vote, the four voted for Deshaun. Mm-hmm. Then, then the eight split their votes, uh, five or three, no, it was five on Evie, uh, five on six, five on, mm-hmm. three on Evie. And unbeknownst to her, Sydney, who was literally a half second away from putting the flag in the hole to win the immunity challenge, gets sent home because she just decided to stick with this this group from the yellow tribe who were only concerned about themselves i mean at the point that sydney got voted out xander like fist pumped and said yeah and looked at evie was like we did it and sydney who was just kind of a fly on the wall then all of a sudden her name had to be brought up because they were worried that evie was going to play the idol walked out of there and she was not happy at all like she turned her back yeah. she didn't wave she shook her head like she was Totally pissed. Yeah, she was really, really upset. What's going to be really interesting now, though, is when you're watching the vote, like, you know, Deshaun is the kind of guy that no matter what kind of has a big grin on his face, you know, no matter what's going down. So that is hard to read. Like, is he really upset? Is he accepting it? You know, he's a pretty good player, though. I doubt he's accepting anything, even though that big smile is on his face. Like, oh, well, if it's me, it's me. Evie was horrified horrified that her name was written down that many times. And so, I mean, Sydney was horrified, but she's gone. So, I mean, we don't care about her anymore. But what's going to be really interesting, because I kind of saw a side of Evie that I didn't love, even though I'm still cheering for her, right? Oh, what was that? Because she's mine. I felt like, I mean, I think they all scramble, but I felt like she scrambled in a really desperate way, really fast. I thought she would have been, I thought she would have been more Deshaunish, like a little bit more cool. I thought she would have had her wits about her a little bit more. She got but really she emotional when she thought she, that she was going home. That's what I was going to say. She just went right to the emotional scramble. And I kind of thought that that wouldn't be her play. I thought it would be a little bit more sophisticated than that. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, uh, watch out. Evie is going to be pissed now. Evie's know, coming but, for somebody. But it's yeah, I don't know who. She doesn't have the numbers. I mean, your girl Evie is with my guy Xander, and the only other person that they have on their squad is Tiff, which is mu- pretty much a negative at that point. But then my girl Chantel is with your girl Leanna and your guy Danny. So I at least feel good about Chantel. I think, I mean, it might go. It honestly just might go. Xander next episode. Evie the episode after that. And then that group will have to 
eat themselves because you keep Tiff around because A, nobody likes Tiff and she's no threat. Well, and then there's weird Heather. I mean, we've got to get rid of her at some point. No, no, you keep the, she, you keep Heather around because Heather's no threat to anything. Heather's going to do everything everybody says and Heather's going to cry fake tears and fail to get out of the starting <laughs> gates on most immunity challenges. So here's interesting. Let's just do this. We don't do this much, but let's just project a little bit. So back to camp, Evie's going to be pissed. Do you agree? No, I think she's going to be ecstatic that she didn't go home. Do you? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be interested to see that. Now, here's the, the really unsolved question for me. Will the original Blue Tribe, who's still basically intact, they're, they're will, entirely intact, besides Sydney, will they go after uh, Erica? No, I think they, what they'll do is they look at, they'll look at it and they say, we have eight. We have eight people. We don't need to go after anybody else. We have eight people. Let's go after Xander and Evie, who are massive threats in this game, both from yeah. a physical standpoint yeah. and from a social standpoint, because Xander actually knows how to play the game. He is cunning enough to play the game. So you get rid of those two people, you keep Tiff, and then you can start chopping off people like I think Nasir will go if they're if they're able to like somehow wiggle the immunity idol away from him. And then if it's if it's a difficult decision, then they'll probably let Erica go. But they'll keep people like Tiff, like Heather around because I don't mean this in a bad way. They're dead weight, but they'll turn on like the Nasirs and the Ricards and the Deshauns before they turn on any of those lesser competitive people. And that that's where the fireworks start. I mean, this is this was great because the blue team finally had a shot at tribal council to do something. And they did ultimately what they always wanted to do, which is get rid of one of their players. But they now showed their hand. But I think they'll stay strong for a little while longer because even within that group of eight, there are still a, f- a small faction of four within that group. Right. Maybe five if they can get somebody like... Uh, Nasir or Ricard on their squad. But uh, I think now that it's merged, it's going to be more interesting. The gameplay will be more cunning and we'll, we'll hopefully get rid of all of this fake stuff that tried to make us feel better about the game only being two thirds long. And it'll be more about that mono mono manipulative mentality that we all actually tune into Survivor for. Well, and hopefully Deshaun, if he's learned anything because he was one of the real ones that was pushing to just annihilate themselves, you know, yep. to get rid of somebody. I, hopefully Deshaun being so close to going home and having his name written down so many times, will give it a second thought. You know I mean, play the safe game, Deshaun. I mean, go as far as you can, you know, in the game. But the very end of the game, what was it? It is officially a merge. And it's a merge. Everybody has their buffs. Yeah. So that is week seven of Survivor. Deb still has three left. I have two left. And begrudgingly, we will continue to recap and then probably never recap Survivor again. <laughs> begrudgingly. Or or listen, I'm not I'm never gonna say never, but whatever this new form of Survivor, I won't do that ever again. I yeah. agree with you. That's going to do it for this Thursday's episode of the Deb and Kev podcast. Remember to like, rate, and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And you can follow us on all of our social channels where we really don't talk about anything Survivor related at Deb and Kev Pod. Mom, I love you to death. I love you, baby. We'll see you guys on Monday. Thank you for listening to the Deb and Kev podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow Deb and Kev on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter at Deb and Kev Pod. 